Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a practitioner of Ayurveda explains the science behind this 5,000-year-old tradition of holistic medicine. Now, I was very fortunate in that a doctor from India who was sent here because he had full knowledge of all the 700 Ayurvedic herbs, well, he was sent to my practice, and he sat with me for 17 years. And I would say to him that that's no fair that God gave you these wonderful herbs for asthma, and we don't have them here or you have these wonderful herbs for MS to heal myelin sheath, and we don't have them here. And he would say, no, you do. You just haven't discovered them yet. This podcast is brought to you by Canada's decontamination specialists, Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners is committed to helping people when tragedy strikes. Their objective is to restore safety to an environment in the most professional and discreet manner possible. Contact Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners at 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at info at crimescenecleaners.ca. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday and happy Canada Day to my Canadian subscribers, 152 years young. And I've got my fireworks all ready to go. As soon as the sun starts to set, the boys and I will head over to the park right next door and celebrate. And in just a few days, it'll be time to celebrate America's birthday, 243 So, America has a few years on us. Two great countries, two great neighbors. 
living in peace, that's worth celebrating. Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum is standing by to introduce us to an ancient medical practice that goes back 5,000 years. It's called Ayurveda. First, I want to thank everyone again for sending in their Stephen Wright jokes, and I'm pleased to announce the winner of the draw. It's Ronnie Pitts from Jordanton, Texas. Ronnie, I'm sending you Volume 2 of my Strange Planet radio feature collection on CD. Congratulations. Ayurveda, or Ayurvedic medicine, is a healthy lifestyle system that people in India have used for more than 5,000 years. Ayurveda emphasizes good health and prevention and treatment of illness through lifestyle practices such as massage, meditation, yoga, and dietary changes, and the use of herbal remedies. Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum has been in private practice for over 30 years, and she's been using in-depth principles of Ayurveda in her practice with outstanding results with all health problems. Dr. Teitelbaum runs a private practice in which each patient receives individual attention in a small private setting. She's highly skilled in treating most health problems using Ayurvedic principles in which one can use pulse diagnosis to get to the deepest level of imbalance. She is the author of Healing the Thyroid with Ayurveda. Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. For those not familiar with the term or the Sanskrit language, break down the term Ayurveda. What does that mean? Ayurveda means the science or knowledge of life. So it's a 5,000-year-old tradition of holistic medicine from India, which incorporates truly natural remedies, herbs, dietary guidelines, and cleansing to heal almost any condition you could think of. Is it related to yoga at all? Yes, yoga and Ayurveda both come from the ancient Vedic texts. Yes, they're kind of like cousins. <laughs> now, 5,000 years ago, how did they come by this, this knowledge, and we'll get into, for example, you know, treating the different stages of life, including prenatal and even, you know, when to conceive and under what conditions to conceive and how not to conceive. How did they know this 5,000 years ago? The ancient doctors were highly enlightened beings, and they say that when knowledge comes to you, when you're enlightened like that, like Buddha or Christ or Krishna, that is very sound knowledge. They call it a siddhanta in Ayurveda. That means knowledge that's always going to be correct and true, unlike some of the knowledge that we have today where they might do some research and say, oh, eggs are bad for you, and then they'll rescind that later and say, no, this research shows they're okay, and they go back and forth. So the knowledge of Ayurveda is always true and sound. So to me it was amazing that they could cognize so many things, and now that we have modern research, we can see that they were correct in everything they said. And yet, we don't have a tradition of uh, Ayurveda here in North America. I mean, we have pockets of, you know, people who might practice uh, Chinese medicine, etc. I don't even know that Chinese medicine goes back 5,000 years, does it? No, uh, the, the most ancient tradition is the Ayurvedic tradition. In fact, the Chinese took some of their knowledge from the Ayurvedic tradition a couple thousand years later. But in America, we're such a new country, we haven't had a chance to develop a system of holistic medicine. In fact, we don't even know most of our herbs. They're lying in the fields undiscovered yet. 
which is why any practitioner who wants to learn how to treat their patients with herbs would be wise to see what these two traditions are doing. I just chose Ayurveda because uh, I'm more acclimated to that, and for me, the pulse diagnosis was easier to understand, and the philosophy behind it was also easier to understand. So let's talk about some of the the major tenets of of the Ayurveda uh, philosophy or practice, if you will. Uh, if I'm a patient and I'm coming to see you, mm-hmm. um, and you're using this methodology, how do you approach it? Well, um, I just finished writing a book called Healing the Thyroid with Ayurveda because while I treat every single condition known to mankind, and I have for 30 years in my practice using Ayurveda, I find that the thyroid is the most common thing I treat. It's such an epidemic. But with any new patient that I see, I can easily blend this ancient tradition into this modern era. So what I mean by that is that the ancient doctors of India, one of the tenets of Ayurveda is that as we go through life, we go through six stages of a disease process as we work our way towards a disease we could name, say, let's say gallbladder disease, for example. So in the first two stages of any disease process, there's no symptoms, but by the third and fourth stage, you have symptoms, but you can't name it as a disease. And then by the fifth and sixth stage, if you let these imbalances continue on, then disease happens. So the goal of medicine should be to see what are those imbalances, where are you along that path, and reverse it so that you don't make your way to that fifth and sixth stage where you can now be diagnosed with a disease or if you've already made your way there, then you want to see the underlying imbalances that caused it and fix them so they don't cause some other problem. So the first thing I do is I use pulse diagnosis in order to detect what those imbalances are because even though we have wonderful modern technology and diagnostic tools where we can diagnose the disease, those tools don't show the imbalances that created it. So if you think about it, for any disease, if you ask the doctor why you got it, they don't have an answer for why, but they know how to suppress the symptoms of that disease using their pharmaceuticals. So with me, I can detect the underlying imbalances and see, you know, what's causing all these diseases. So it's quite a wonderful tool to have. And and what role does a prana play in uh, the development of disease? Well, I, in my book, I opened the book with a discussion, a great discussion on this, because it's something that's very important. But And people know the word means uh, like kind of like a life force, but they don't know beyond that how to truly apply it to our health. So the, the pranic energy, the Chinese call it chi, by the way, and the people in India call it prana, it's the vibration from the sun and the moon hitting the food as it grows out in the fields. It's hitting the water as it flows down the mountain streams, and it's in the air we breathe. So it's this pranic energy, this life force, which not only keeps us alive, but it keeps ourselves very intelligent so that at any point in time, during the day or night, your cells are doing hundreds of things. They know when to make the neurotransmitters. The mitochondria knows when to make the ATP. Uh, it knows when to make hormones and when to stop So all this information inside, the cells are communicating with each other, and that communication occurs through vibration. And that vibration is the pranic energy that we get, again, from the air we breathe, 
the food we eat, and the water that we drink. So we want to make sure that we don't kill the prana in the food by freezing it. Like we don't want to make big batches of food and freeze it in little containers and thaw it out. We don't want to process the food, and America is full of processed foods. We also don't want to microwave the food because that will kill that delicate pranic vibration. And the ancient doctors went so far as to say, don't eat leftovers. Cook the food today, eat it today. And we know countries like Italy that are very healthy and live to, the people there live to a ripe old age. If you follow them around, you see that they're cooking fresh every day. Not like here where we're eating leftovers, frozen, microwavable, canned, processed like that, that type of food. And it also means that whatever you want to truly heal the body should have been grown in nature. So think about this. The pharmaceuticals that we use were manufactured in a lab where they're isolating the active ingredient out of an herb and making it in a lab at a high dose. So it does have an effect, but it also comes riddled with side effects and toxicity. So the holistic people in America decided that we need an alternative to that. So they made the same mistake and said, you know, food has vitamins in it and minerals. Why don't we synthetically make them in a lab and we can make these supplements like B-complex and glutathione and L-tyrosine and all these hundreds of things. And we can make them in a much higher dose, isolate that active ingredient out of the food. And that's what our holistic medicine is based on in America. And that's one of many reasons I decided to write my book. And I'll be writing future books on all the diseases. But for now, I started with the thyroid. But many people think that holistic medicine entails taking lots of synthetic vitamins. But because there's no prana in there, uh, then there's going to be some side effects and toxicity to the body. So it's kind of like an important word that needs to get out, and, and I'm hoping to do that in my book. So a lot of these supplements uh, that are the synthesized version of what we find in nature are, mm-hmm. are, not, are not going to do the, are, they're not going to do the trick, in other words. They might help some symptoms, just like we can't say that pharmaceuticals don't work. They do work, but we also see at the same time they have side effects. So, for example, many women I saw through the years said that they learned that chromium could help them lose weight, so they started taking chromium. And then a study came out from Harvard saying that chromium, synthetically made, will slice the DNA, so that's a very dangerous thing. And then some other studies came out showing the folic acid can cause, uh, the synthetic version can cause colon cancer, and beta carotene could cause lung cancer. And that's because these are unintelligent. There's no prana. So if the food or the herbs or the things you're taking coming into the body are not intelligent, then your cells get dumbed down and they do dumb things. And that would mean that they could form things like cancers or autoimmune diseases. In either case, the cells can't remember what they're supposed to do because the nutrients coming in were dumb or dead like that. So, and that's what cancer is, where the cells can't remember what they're supposed to do uh, because everything coming in was lacking the prana. So, so we don't want to encourage the growth of those types of tumors and uh, autoimmune diseases. How else does prana enter the body aside besides uh, from food? In my book, I go through a whole discourse on that. But another way is through the water. Same thing, the sun and the moon are hitting the water as it flows down the mountain streams. Now, if we put chlorine in the water, it'll kill the prana. So many people say, well, I filter the water. I filter that chlorine out or the fluoride or whatever. 
if you filter it, you could filter out the chlorine, but you can't bring the prana back to life. So we instruct people to have water that's taken from the earth in pristine environments like Fiji, like Fiji water, or Iceland, Mountain Valley water, Avion, in areas where there's no acid rain, and the water coming to the earth is very alkaline. And um, again, it's got a nice alkaline pH, and it has that intelligence of nature. It has the prana in it. There's another way we get the prana, and that is through the, the actual air and the space and air element. The prana flows in at the top of the head. In my book, I, I describe these are points uh, that are described in the book, um, where it comes in at the top of the head, it comes in through the nostrils, the ears, any orifice in the face, uh, and then it goes and combines and goes down the spine through two vibrational channels, but they're called the Ida and Pingala channel, and collectively they're known as the Shishum Nanadi. These are just fancy Sanskrit names that you know people don't really need to try to memorize or anything. But the pranic energy goes down the spine, and from the spine is delivered to all the organs, glands of the cellular system and the extremities, and it comes out the arms and legs, like through the hands and the feet, the used-up prana. So it's a really interesting topic, this this idea of prana, and it's something that we totally don't understand here in the West. It seems so basic, but we don't really know how to breathe properly, do we? Well, breathing is one thing. We don't know how to eat properly. We don't know how to drink good water, and I think that's why we're really suffering in America. But, you know, these things, are, you can take care of them if you just learn these basic concepts, and then you learn how to breathe better, more deeper. You, you learn how to have good water and how to have food with lots of prana, and then your health is just so radiant. And then, of course, meditation. Talk to me about, uh, I mean, it's really precise. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a precise time of day when meditation is best. When do you meditate? The ancient doctors noted in their Vedic textbooks that an hour and a half before the sun rises is the best time. They call that time the Brahmahurta, and I talk about that in my book as well. They said at that hour, all of nature is in balance. We can feel it. You ever wake up and maybe you'll have insomnia, but it's so still outside. It's almost like a divine... um, like feeling that you feel, like a blissful feeling, because it's so quiet. And um, they said that it's the best time to meditate, because you can go deeper in your meditation, deeper than, say, once the sun comes up, and then there's the cars, and, and the environment isn't as settled. And they also said it's the best time to conceive a baby during that time period, about an hour and a half or so before the sun rises. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about conception because I, I was watching uh, one of your lectures, and mm-hmm. my word, it's it's so precise and involved, uh, if it, right down to even uh, the sex selection of a child, depending on the timing of conception. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Yes, it's amazing how they had everything figured out. You know, uh, so many days after the menstrual cycle, if you conceive, and all that. Uh, but they had so much to say, really, about everything, and uh, that's what I, why I intend to write more books about this, so I can get all this in writing. But in th- so far, what we have are these Sanskrit texts, which none of us have access to because we don't understand the Sanskrit. But I hope to put it all in writing in English so that people have access to this very important knowledge. But yeah, they had something to say about how to conceive a baby, 
uh, like the, the best time of day to conceive, if you want a boy or a girl, how many days after the menstrual cycle, if it was an even day, it would create this boy or an odd day, a girl. And, and they went on and on. And that's how their whole texts were. They had great treatises just on different foods and milk and um, and on every food you can imagine, they talked about what happens when it comes into the body. So the knowledge that they have in diet, <clears throat> excuse me, in diet, nutrition, and every realm of our health is much more advanced than what we know today, which to me is an amazing thing because we have more technology now, and yet they had much more um, practical information for people to follow. Talk to me about plants, uh, because it seems to me that that uh, with Ayurveda, they've come up with a specific herb for almost every ailment known to man. Yes, they use over 700 herbs uh, to treat every condition. So it's kind of like nature gives us these things. It's just whether or not we know how to use them. <clears throat> so the problem in America is that since we've only been here a couple hundred years or so, we haven't had a chance to fully discover all of our herbs. Now, I was very fortunate in that a doctor from India who was sent here because he had full knowledge of all the 700 Ayurvedic herbs, and he was sent to America to make formulations for all the diseases. Well, he was sent to my practice, and he sat with me for 17 years, and he took the pulses of people, and he made over 500 formulas for me to use to treat everything. That's, that's why I know how to treat everything. And I would say to him that that's no fair that God gave you these wonderful herbs for asthma and we don't have them here. Or you have these wonderful herbs for MS to heal myelin sheath and we don't have them here. And he would say, no, you do. You just haven't discovered them yet. So, see, but in India, they've lived there for 10,000 years and this tradition of Ayurveda is 5,000 years old. So here, we've only been here a couple hundred years. So I decided that I'm going to study with him because I don't want to wait another few thousand years in order to learn our herbs. It's not going to happen in our lifetime. So, um, so I was very fortunate, and the knowledge that he taught me was very, very advanced and deep, and that's why I feel very compelled to uh, get all this in writing for not only a lay patient to read and understand and treat themselves and their family, but also for the practitioners to learn how to treat their patients. More of my conversation with Dr. Mary Ann Teitelbaum when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the Whistleblower Tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a Truth Seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. 
theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum is here, the author of Healing the Thyroid with Ayurveda. One of the things that you, you warned against in, in this lecture that I saw was milk thistle. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What's wrong with milk thistle? Well, in this modern era, um, what has happened is, especially living in America, this was the first thing. My teacher came directly from India, and right away he, started, he sat with me and we saw patients together. And at one point, he turned to me, and he said, I, I don't really know what to do, he said. And I remember him saying that exactly, that I don't know what to do, that every pulse that I test here in America, it's different than what I've seen in India. And he said, I, I think I figured out why. He said, in India, they're eating real food. The mother's making flatbreads and dal and rice and vegetables, and, and they're eating food. But here in America, there's so much... He said, between the processing of the food, the chemicals in the food, the fast foods, and then the high reliance on pharmaceuticals, he said, all these chemicals have to go through the liver. So in just about every patient he saw, the liver was overheated because these chemicals, are, they're, they're like acidic. That's why rain becomes acid rain when it goes through the air pollution. So he said that everyone's liver in America was compromised and overheated. So therefore... Lots of herbs will heat the liver, including the Ayurvedic herbs to treat and uh, like clean the liver. Many herbs are heating. So he had to figure out ways to get the herbs into the patients, which I talk about in my book. He developed what are called transdermal creams, these glyceride drops, where he had to take the crude herb out so it wouldn't overheat the liver and just leave the prana, just that vibration and intelligence in the herb so it could have its effect and not further worsen the liver. So... Milk thistle cleans the liver, has some capability of regenerating liver cells, but it heats it tremendously. So in this modern era, we, I can't use it on any of my patients. But he did teach me the Ayurvedic herbs that are very cooling, which I do mention in, in the book. One's called Mankand, the other's called Bhumi Amla, which we can use on our patients. And there's a third one called Gaduchi. So I will talk about these three herbs a lot in my book and teach people how to use those because um, of that overheating tendency of the liver. And, and how are these herbs uh, cultivated and prepared? The ancient doctors gave strict prescriptions for every herb, how to process it and not kill the prana. So for the first step is you have to dry them. So if you heat them too high a temperature, as you're drying them, it could kill the prana. Not only that, they told what to put in the herb to help drive it into the inside of the cell. They weren't assuming that just because you're taking uh, ashwagandha, it will get into the cell. And the herbs can only have their effect once it gets inside the cell. So, so that's how advanced they were. Like here, we just dry an herb. <coughs> excuse me, we dry an herb and we take it. But there, they they know how to formulate it and put the um, the the nutrients in it that will drive it into the cell. So it's much more advanced than what we know here. And. Are there some herbs that uh, the, the, the Vedics prescribed that no longer exist? 
No, I would say the closest thing that we have to that right now, the, the one herb that we use, like if someone has cirrhosis of the liver or a fatty liver and we need to regenerate it, or maybe an autoimmune hepatitis, um, the herb that we use is called mankand, and it's on the endangered species list. So what my, And it's very hard to find. So my teacher found it, but he figured out how to make these glyceride drops where you don't need much of the herb. So even though he couldn't find a lot of it, he, he made it into this form. But um, so, you know, I don't know fully. There might be some other herbs that have gone extinct, but I, I don't know of any. We have such a, so many hundreds of herbs we can use, and we don't really have a problem getting them. And, and how about herbs or wild plants that are indigenous to North America, not from uh, India or Southeast Asia that the Vedics wouldn't have known about, but maybe the indigenous people here know about? Is there some potential for overlap there? Um, not overlap, but I always felt that maybe the American Indians would have known how to use all these leaves and plants and herbs and things. But maybe, you know, um, they never shared that with us since we weren't so kind to them, you know. So so it's not something they've ever shown us, you know. But have you heard of, uh, for example, um, this isn't an herb, but I know that I've, I've talked to a, um, a researcher about chaga, which grows on the, uh, the out, outside of a birch, uh, outside of birch bark, that it, that seems to have some medicinal qualities, uh, things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I use so many barks and things. But, yeah, I think everything in nature has some medicinal qualities. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't know the Western herbs. I was never able to study with anyone who knew Western herbs 30 years ago. I couldn't find anyone who knew them because it's such a rare thing to find someone who knows how to use hundreds of herbs. So I was kind of forced to study the Ayurvedic tradition. And so let's talk about uh, thyroid because that's the, um, the subject of your book, Healing the Thyroid with Ayurveda, Natural Treatments. Uh, so what what herbal remedies well first first before we get to that what what are some of the major issues you said that thyroid is a it's a, it's a huge problem in North America yeah, so what's going yeah. on with the thyroid here well here's what's going on there's basically two types of thyroid patients you'll see in the first group are people who have full-blown thyroid symptoms like weight gain hair loss tendency to miscarriages uh, depression constip- constipation fatigue and when they get their blood work drawn, it comes back normal because, see, they haven't entered that fifth and sixth stage yet. They're only in that third and fourth stage where they have symptoms, but it goes undetected on their blood work. So they're told nothing's wrong with them, and they leave the doctor's office feeling very frustrated and hopeless. The second group of people have those symptoms, and it does show up on blood work. They're put on thyroid hormone, but they still don't have relief from their symptoms because nothing's being done to see why the thyroid is weak in the first place. And to be honest with you, we could make the same mistake in Ayurveda if we wanted to, which I discourage people from doing where, uh, and I talk about this in the opening of the book, many people will come to me and go, what herb do you have for the thyroid? Well, the herbs we have are ashwagandha, shilajit. I'll mention them in the book. But that's not the answer to treating the thyroid. The thyroid gland is like a very delicate little flower. And it's the only gland whose hormones affect every cell in the body. So in reverse, if something's wrong anywhere in the body, any stressor, whether it's physical, mental, environmental, emotional, the thyroid gland will get weak. 
So each person has usually a few different reasons why their thyroid's weak, and you have to identify that in each person and address that. And then you give the herbs to support the thyroid. But the first step is you have to see what's causing it. And the reason why there's such an epidemic of thyroid problems is because stress can upset the thyroid function. So can if you put um, fluoride in the drinking water. And many municipalities around the country have fluoride in them. And fluoride is a poison to the thyroid. That's another part of this big epidemic. Also, heavy metals like mercury. See, the thyroid is programmed to absorb iodine. It's the only gland who absorbs that. And iodine and mercury almost look exactly alike. And when mercury comes in, let's say you had a flu shot and it had mercury in it, the thyroid will suck up the mercury by mistake, thinking it's iodine. And it actually prefers the mercury over the iodine. And then the mercury proceeds to kill the thyroid. So these are just a few of the many reasons which I do talk about in the book. So as you read these reasons, you can say, oh, I'm doing this wrong. I'm going to stop doing that or this. But then you'll also get this broader picture of why there is such an epidemic because there's, there's several things like that that many of us are exposed to that would weaken the thyroid gland. Right. And the thyroid's function is to regulate the body's hormones, right? Well, the thyroid makes hormones, but it regula- those hormones regulate metabolism, your heartbeat, your, your bones. Like if you had a weak thyroid, you could get osteoporosis. Um, your hair could fall out. You might feel low energy because your metabolism's too slow. See, so it affects many, many things. Well, I have someone close to me who who has uh, hair loss issues. It keeps growing back. It's not like this person is going bald, but uh, and again, frustrating because she's had the her thyroid checked. It keeps coming back. You know, not a problem. But that again could be third, fourth phase of the disease. Correct. That's right. One thing I can emphatically tell you, because I treat so many thousands of thyroid patients over the last 30 years, that if there's hair loss, there is definitely thyroid going on. Now, it could be autoimmune, like today I had um, two girls in who were bald. I got their hair to grow back. But in their case, the immune system was attacking the thyroid gland, so I had to fix their immune system and then make it stop attacking the thyroid and then support the thyroid. So that's why I say it's a little different in each case, see. So I have another girl, too, who has thyroid, and she got 40 flu shots with mercury, and she's loaded with mercury. So in her case, I have to pull the mercury out, and then her thyroid comes back. See, so it's it's a little different in each case. But it's just that they can't find it, that's all, because she's not at that fifth and sixth stage yet. Right. And Graves' disease, that's related to the thyroid, correct? Yes, Graves' disease and Hashimoto's are the two autoimmune diseases of the thyroid. And again, autoimmune means that your immune system, which has intelligence to know what to attack, I attack viruses, bacteria, but I do not attack the body. That's the intelligence of the immune system. Well, the immune system through your lifetime has gotten off its tracks, and it's misfiring, it's spiraling out of control, and it's attacking your thyroid gland in one case causing Graves or in another Hashimoto's. But in my book, I talk about the fact that what they usually do for Hashimoto's, for example, they just give thyroid hormone, but there's no attempts to fix the immune system. And the immune system has three parts, which I'll discuss, the friendly bacteria in the gut, the liver, and the bone marrow. 
So I'll talk about why all three um, get so compromised in this modern era and what to do about it. You know, so then if you can fix your immune system, get it back on its tracks, then a lot of these things slowly but surely get better. You mentioned uh, getting rid of the mercury. Uh, do you have cases where people have had uh, f- f- fillings with mercury, and when those fillings were removed, they 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 suffered some sort of a, a, a mercury toxicity yeah. in the body? How do you get yeah. rid of mercury? Uh, we have specific ways in the book I talk about it, but our supplements are based on cilantro. I know other people are using some chelating agents, but again, we like to use... Um, not synthetic things like EDTA, but we use things based on food like that has the prana, like cilantro. But I carefully monitor them. I have you can feel on the pulse when someone has heavy metals, and I I keep monitoring them till the heavy metals come out. Just by taking their pulse. Yes, I also use another system that I learned in chiropractic college. It's called applied kinesiology, and many even many years before I learned how to feel the heavy metals in the pulse. I learned how to uh, test that through applied kinesiology. So I have actually a backup system where I can test heavy metals through the pulse and the muscle testing. Can people find any of these these foods, these herbs in the grocery store? Oh yeah, like cilantro, you can find easily. And there's lots of foods that I'll recommend in the book that you can find and how to use them. Some are used for detox, some clean the liver, some clean the kidneys, and some clean the bone marrow. So these are all the things people are going to learn in my book. This is the first time a book has been written like this, so I'm very excited uh, to present this to the layperson. It's something I've been doing for 30 years, but to me it's exciting to see that people are going to be learning what, what I was so excited to learn on my own. Well, tell me about the bone marrow. Why do we have to clean it? Well, the ancient doctor said there's seven tissues in the body, and when you eat food, it travels systematically through all seven tissues, and it follows this path. First, the food goes, once it's out of the digestive system, goes into the blood plasma, stays there about three to five days, and then it goes into the blood, same thing, stays there three to five days, then the muscle, the fat, the, um, the bone, the bone marrow, and then the, ner- the reproductive fluids. So... If toxins come in to those early tissues, like the blood plasma, the blood, our body's very smart to get rid of them. So right away, if toxins come in, they're going to want to follow that same route through those seven tissues. But once toxins come into those superficial early tissues, like the blood plasma and the blood, our bodies get rid of them in the bowel movement, urine, and the sweat. And the ancient doctor said, don't let the toxins reach the bone marrow because that's where the immune system cells are made. And if toxins reach there, it can disrupt your immune system function. It's just real common sense. So the autoimmune diseases have increased 500% since the onset of all the pharmaceuticals. And now we can see that with many pharmaceuticals, they do make their way into your bone marrow. Like, for example, Accutane that's used for acne goes right into the bone marrow. Or if you get an immunization, any immunization you could think of, whether it's a flu shot, shingles, pneumonia, DPT. I'm not anti-vax, and I'm not saying don't get those, but the truth is those chemicals immediately pierce all seven tissues and go deep into the bone marrow. So that's why another reason I felt compelled to write this book, that people are harboring lots of toxins. Even if you step outside and breathe the air pollution within minutes, 
those chemicals in air pollution, pesticides, pharmaceuticals go into the bone marrow. And that's why people's um, immune systems are so disturbed nowadays. So, uh, but there are ways to clean it. So you have to get those toxins out of there. Uh, there's not many herbs that can do it and not many foods, but I will mention what they are in the book. Can you give us a for instance? Uh, there, my teacher knew 700 herbs. He knew all the herbs in Ayurveda. His favorite herb is called Gaduchi, and the reason why, that's the herb that can clean the bone marrow. And uh, what I'll talk about in the book, though, is that if you get the leaf of the Gaduchi plant, it's too heating to the liver for this modern era. But the stem of the Gaduchi, they juice it, and then they dry it into a powder. It's very alkaline and starchy, and it's very cooling. So we use this. It's called Gaduchi Satwa. It's also known as stem of Gaduchi. Um, but Gaduchi has the capability of going into the bone marrow to clean it. So that's, that's an amazing herb that can do that. And that's why it was my teacher's favorite herb. So I'll have a, a nice section on Gaduchi and what the ancient doctors had to say about it as well in the book. And uh, are you confident uh, that at some point Ayurveda will continue to grow in popularity in North America? I am not only confident, I am emphatic about this, that Ayurveda is poised to become, it's, it's going to take off in America. Uh, you know, I might not live to see it 100 years from now. I don't know how long it'll take. But I can tell you that not only in America, but around the world, it's growing phenomenally quickly because even in countries that have their own traditional healing, because it's so comprehensive, and especially countries like ours, we don't, we don't even have a tradition of holistic medicine. We don't have herbal pharmacies we can go to. All we think we have to help ourselves get well are these synthetic pharmaceuticals and vitamins. So our country is poised for this whole new awakening in health. And again, that's another reason I decided to write the book. I talk about this paradigm shift that's occurring because in the early years of my practice, I had some people who kind of were interested in it, but, um, but they didn't know much about it. Well, the people coming in now, we have hordes of people. In fact, if you call my office, you have to wait two months to get in. We have people lining up. Uh, people love Ayurveda once they find out about it. So I can just see from my book sales and from uh, my practice that it has grown exponentially in my 30 years of practice. And people really need this and it, it almost reminds me of um, Steve Jobs when he came out with all these uh, gadgets for us. He said that people didn't know what they needed, but I showed them. And that's how I feel Ayurveda is. People don't know that our healthcare system is so broken. We're just used to this, and we think it's normal to, to, for the healthcare system to be like this. But I think as people are finding out, as they develop these diseases and they see that they don't like the side effects of the medicine or maybe they're not getting well and they're seeking out alternative care, I think that they're going to find that Ayurveda has a lot to offer them and I think they'll be, you know, really uh, totally in love with the system. Again, from what I could see with my patients, they're, they're beating down our door to come in here, so... Healing the Thyroid with Ayurveda, Natural Treatments for Hashimoto's, Hypothyroidism, and Hyperthyroidism. How do we get a copy of the book? The easiest way is always through Amazon, because you can just click on that and within a, a minute order it. Uh, it's also available in Barnes and & Nobles and the major bookstores. 
And uh, Dr. Teitelbaum, uh, give us a website where we can learn more about you and your work. You can just Google my name, Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum, and my website will come up. And it's spelled M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, and Teitelbaum is spelled T as in Tom, E-I, T as in Tom again, E-L-B-A-U-M as in Mary. Marianne, thank you so much for this. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back to tell you a little bit about Wednesday's episode. This segment, sponsored by The Horrible Movie Podcast, available at iTunes and thehorriblemoviepodcast.com. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Coming up on episode 247, Google bias, censorship, and election meddling exposed. Because it's being done by artificial intelligence, and it's being personally inserted into our devices and things that we think are you know, part of our homes, or maybe Elon Musk would go so far today as part of our bodies, that we take heed to a lot of these things and we just ingest it like it's a poison. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 